This is day 23 of our daily Bible reading. We will be reading Exodus chapters 39 and 40, which will end the book, and then we will go into Leviticus chapters 1 and 2, followed by Psalm 23. Lord Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you would humble our hearts. Help us to recognize, Lord, how great you are, how worthy you are to be praised and to be obeyed. So often, Lord, we are distracted in this way, or we don't see it to the level we should. But Lord, as we have entered into your word and have been reading about the establishment of your law, you are making it known to us, Lord, that you are holy, and you have prescribed a specific way that you desire to be worshipped. May we understand that more deeply, and may we take this to heart, that we, your people, should know and obey the way that you want to be worshipped. Please give our hearts an attitude of worship and reverence to your word every day, and may it increase in the days to come. Please bless the reading of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Moreover, from the blue and purple and scarlet material, they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place, as well as the holy garments which were for Aaron, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. Then they hammered out gold sheets and cut them into threads, to be woven in with the blue and the purple and the scarlet material, and the fine linen, the work of a skillful workman. They made attaching shoulder pieces for the ephod. It was attached at its two upper ends. The skillfully woven band which was on it was like its worksmanship, of the same material, of gold and of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the onyx stones, set in gold filigree settings. They were engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he placed them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod, as memorial stones for the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the breastpiece, the work of a skillful workman, like the worksmanship of the ephod, of gold and a blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It was square. They made the breastpiece folded double, a span long and a span wide when folded double. And they mounted four rows of stones on it. The first row was a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. And the second row a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were set in gold filigree settings when they were mounted. The stones were corresponding to the names of the sons of Israel. They were twelve, corresponding to their names, engraved with the engravings of a signet each with its name for the twelve tribes. They made on the breastpiece chains like cords of twisted cordage work in pure gold. They made two gold filigree settings 
and two gold rings, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastpiece. Then they put the two gold cords in the two rings at the end of the breastpiece. They put the other two ends of the two cords on the two filigree settings, and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod at the front of it. They made two gold rings and placed them on the two ends of the breastpiece, on its inner edge, which was next to the ephod. Furthermore, they made two gold rings and placed them on the bottom of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod, on the front of it, close to the place where it joined, above the woven band of the ephod. They bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord, so that it would be on the woven band of the ephod, and that the breastpiece would not come loose from the ephod, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue, and the opening of the robe was at the top in the center, as the opening of a coat of mail, with a binding all around its opening, so that it would not be torn. They made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet material and twisted linen on the hem of the robe. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates all around on the hem of the robe, alternating a bell and a pomegranate all around on the hem of the robe for the service, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the tunics of finely woven linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen, and the decorated caps of fine linen, and the linen breeches of fine twisted linen, and the sash of fine twisted linen, and blue and purple and scarlet material, the work of a weaver, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold, and inscribed it like the engravings of a signet, holy to the Lord. They fastened a blue cord to it, to fasten it on the turban above, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, and its pillars, and its sockets. And the coverings of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of porpoise skins, and the screening veil. The ark of the testimony, and its poles, and the mercy seat. The table, all its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The pure gold lampstand with its arrangement of lamps and all its utensils, and the oil for the light, and the gold altar, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the veil for the doorway of the tent, the bronze altar and its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the laver and its stand, the hangings for the court, its pillars and its sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords, and its pegs, and all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting. The woven garments for ministering in the holy place, 
and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons, to minister as priests. So the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it. Just as the Lord had commanded, this they had done. So Moses blessed them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall place the ark of the testimony there, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange what belongs on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and mount its lamps. Moreover, you shall set the gold altar of incense before the ark of the testimony, and set up the veil for the doorway to the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering in front of the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall set the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the veil for the gateway of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and shall consecrate it and all its furnishings, and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, and the altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver and its stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, and anoint him, and consecrate him, that he may minister as a priest to me. You shall bring his sons, and put tunics on them, and you shall anoint them even as you have anointed their father, that they may minister as priests to me, and their anointing will qualify them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did, according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets and set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he took the testimony and put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up a veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread and order on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting, opposite the table, on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the veil, 
and he burned fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and offered on it the burnt offering and the meal offering, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He placed the laver between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing. From it Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel. Congratulations on finishing Exodus. Now we are going to move on to the third book of the law, which is called Leviticus. Again, we in our Bibles today attribute the name of the book based off of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Leviticus in Greek means that which pertains to the Levites. So basically what we can say about Leviticus is that this was a user manual for how priests are supposed to do their jobs. And while that may be the case for some of Leviticus, there are several sections of Leviticus where the laws are concerning all of the Israelites. So in many ways, this is a manual for how to worship God properly. Now, it is mentioned at least 50 times, maybe more, in the book of Leviticus that these words were spoken to Moses by God. And so either Moses wrote it down himself or he had someone write it down. But either way, Jesus Christ says that this book was written by Moses. Now, in this book, there are three important themes that we have to keep in mind. One is that God is holy, and because he is holy, his holiness needs to be better understood and what he desires for his people to do in that regard. Secondly, this is a book for how God wants the people of Israel to fellowship with him, what is required in order to enter God's presence. And then the third theme of this book is a painful reminder about how sinful we as human beings are, because the overarching theme of this book is redemption and atonement. What is necessary for us to cleanse ourselves from our sins. 
There are specific prescribed methods that the Israelites have to perform in order to atone for a certain sin. But at the end of the day, the person has to recognize that they sinned and have to confess and admit that they sinned before they'd be willing to do this sacrament. So this still requires a form of repentance, if you will, for you to willingly go and present your sacrifice. And again, all of this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ is going to do on the cross. He is going to atone for all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, forever. His sacrifice is the final sacrifice required. After that, most of the book of Leviticus is no longer necessary anymore. But that doesn't mean that this book is not important for us to learn. There is a lot that we can gain from this. And while, yes, some parts of this are difficult to read, we need to understand that it is in our Bibles for a reason. Not only for historical context, but also to better understand how God operates. So I ask you to be patient with the book of Leviticus. It is one of the hardest books of the Bible to read because some people find it boring or dry. But give it a chance, and when we get through it, you will have a better understanding of the law in general, as well as, hopefully, understand ourselves in light of a holy God. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive in. Leviticus chapters 1 and 2. Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. He shall slay the young bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer up the blood and sprinkle the blood around on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He shall then skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the suet, over the wood, which is on the fire that is on the altar. Its entrails, however, and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer up in smoke all of it on the altar for a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if the offering is from the flock, of the sheeps or of the goats, for a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall slay it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. He shall then cut it into its pieces with its head and its suet, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood which is on the fire that is on the altar. 
The entrails, however, and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it, and offer it up in smoke on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of the soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering from the turtle doves or from young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and offer it up in smoke on the altar, and its blood is to be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall also take away its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar eastward to the place of the ashes. Then he shall tear it by its wings, but shall not sever it. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the wood, which is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and shall take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. Now when you bring an offering of a grain offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers spread with oil. If your offering is a grain offering made on the griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it into bits and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Now, if your offering is a grain offering made in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. When you bring in the grain offering, which is made of these things to the Lord, it shall be presented to the priest, and he shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall take up from the grain offering its memorial portion, and shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, as an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not ascend for a soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. Also, if you bring a grain offering of early ripened things to the Lord, you shall bring fresh heads of grain roasted in the fire, grits of new growth, 
for the grain offering of your early ripened things. You shall then put oil on it and lay incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall offer up in smoke its memorial portion, part of its grits and its oil, with all its incense as an offering by fire to the Lord. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Congratulations again on finishing the second book of the Bible. We have completed another 40 chapters of the Bible and have moved into Leviticus. Let's talk briefly about what we read today. Chapter 39 is a summary of all the work that they had been assigned to do for the garments that were required for the high priest, Aaron, as well as his sons at the time. And then those garments are going to be passed on to the next generation of priests. But in summary, everything that they did was exactly what God requested. So everything that Moses had told the people to do, they did it exactly as they were instructed to do. So this act of obedience is approved by God himself. And then it says that at the end of all the work that they did, they showed it all to Moses. He looked over everything. I'm sure that he consulted God along the way, and he approved it. Everything was exactly like he wanted, and Moses blessed them for their work. So then God instructs Moses that at the beginning of the new year in their calendar, that they are to erect this tabernacle and set it up exactly as God had commanded. So they do that. Everything is built correctly and put in its proper place. And then as a result of the work being completely finished, we see God's final approval of the process by him putting his own presence into the tabernacle. That was the whole point behind this. There is a lot of deep symbolism in the tabernacle itself, but ultimately, this is what God prescribed for the people of Israel so that his presence could be among them. God desires to be with his people, but he will not be with a stubborn, disobedient, obstinate people. He has certain requirements, and he has certain ways he desires to be worshipped. And only when those requirements are met will he want to fellowship with you. Now, the dynamic that God has with his children in this generation is a little bit different than it was in the Old Testament. In our case, we have the Holy Spirit within us at all times. God is always with us, even in the midst of our sin. Jesus Christ 
is the one who is the final sacrifice. And because of his blood, which was shed for us, then we are considered ceremonially clean. Just like how in the book of Leviticus, blood is required to cleanse sin. Jesus' blood is what causes our sins to be cleansed, past, present, and future. That doesn't mean we're sinless, but it does mean that we are forgiven and that there is no longer any barrier for us to be prevented from going to heaven. There's a lot of deep theological truth in this, and Paul warns us in the New Testament not to treat that as a license to sin. Just because we are forgiven doesn't mean we have the right to go out and sin as we please. We are not to squander God's gift. And in fact, the whole point of this exercise that the Israelites are trying to do is an act of showing God their obedience. And by obedience, it's because you choose in your heart to obey God. And that is what he still calls us to do today. God hates sin. And if we are truly his worshipers, then we will choose not to sin as much as possible. We won't always get it right. But God looks at the heart. If you are willfully in your heart deciding, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever I want, and I'm just not going to obey God, you don't think he doesn't know that? You can fool everybody else, but you cannot fool God. So by obeying God in our lives, his presence will enter into us in a powerful way. If we hold on to sin, we cannot serve two masters, as Jesus said. So if we exalt ourselves or the sin in our lives to a level it shouldn't be, it's usually in competition for the throne of God. And God will not accept that. And so, in many ways, we sever that connection that we have with God. It damages the relationship that we have with him. He doesn't depart from us. The Holy Spirit will not leave you. But that closeness that you will feel, that sensitivity to God's will, will diminish. And that is not a good thing. We need to have a good relationship with God because he desires to be worshipped the way he wants to be worshipped. And ultimately, he wants his children to be obedient. So here in the Jewish community, we see that the tabernacle was filled by the Lord. He was dwelling with his people. Now, he, at this point, was the one directing them when to move the camp. So it says here that the cloud would rest on the tabernacle, and not even Moses could go in there. Only Aaron and the priests could go in there. But not even all the way in, because as we saw, there is a veil between the holy place where the altar was and the most holy of holies place where the Ark of the Covenant was. That is where God's presence would sit metaphorically. In their law, there was only one time a year where the high priest could go in there and provide a sacrifice for the whole nation. Other than that, they never went in there. Otherwise, they'd be struck dead. So now, any time that the cloud would leave the tabernacle, it was a sign that all the people needed to pack up and get ready to move, because the Lord was going to lead them wherever he desired. So he is going to be their king. 
just as he has always expected from his people, and in reality, what he has always been to them. That's why I see the heart of God broken so much in 1 Samuel, when they are crying out for a human king, and God is like, come on, I've been your king this whole time, but you want to follow around some guy instead of me? Okay, I'll let you have your way, but it's not going to be what you want. You're not going to be satisfied with what you're going to get. Just telling you right now, because I am your king. And they never seem to understand that. And in some ways, it feels like there was some irreparable damage that was done in that moment. But God is a God of patience. He is a God of forgiveness. He is a God of mercy. And he still kept his covenant with his people, even though they desire time and time again to break the covenant themselves. But this is a beautiful example about how God leads his people. And he leads you and me today. The Holy Spirit within you is our moral compass. He whispers to us often if we're listening. And he tells us how we should live, and he guides us in the way we should go. Are you listening to that voice? Are you trying to listen to that voice? How do we listen to that voice? Very simply, we act in obedience to God's word. We actually read what the word says, spending time in scripture, and we pray. Fervent intercessory prayer is a necessity in the life of a Christian. It is not an option. It should not be an option. This leads us into Leviticus. And chapter 1 of Leviticus prescribes the methods of the burnt offering for animals. And then in chapter 2, it describes the burnt offerings for the grain, for any sort of cakes they make, and what vessel they make them in, how they make them, and so on and so forth. Now, every time that they do it correctly, it mentions that it is an offering by fire, a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now, again, he might like the smell, but ultimately what this is saying spiritually is that God accepted that sacrifice, that it was done correctly as he desired it to be. We need to consider that today in that if we are to be As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, we are to be living sacrifices acceptable to God. Then what are we supposed to do that is pleasing to him? Are we doing what God has said in his word that is a soothing aroma to him? Are you today working and living in such a way that you are a soothing aroma to the Lord? And if your conscience is not fully clear on that, then you have some work to do. For myself, I know I have work to do. There are things that I need to cut out of my life. There are things that I could do a whole lot better. But in my stubbornness, in my unwillingness, I don't always remove those things. And sometimes I fight God on them. I'm no different than anyone else. We all have our struggles in different ways and in different arenas. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God wants you to be obedient. If he's not glorified in your life, then you're doing something wrong. And he makes that very clear throughout his scripture. Then that leads us into Psalm chapter 23, probably the most famous psalm that is in our Bible. 
This is a beautiful song of David's about how he trusts the Lord. He pictures the Lord as a great shepherd, and he understands that because he was a shepherd himself. But this great shepherd provides for his people, he protects his sheep, and he is like a gracious host who protects and provides abundantly for his guests. Isn't this so beautiful of an illustration of who God is? The Lord is indeed our shepherd. And isn't that what we just read in the book of Exodus? How he was the one who would lead the people where to go? He is their shepherd. He guided them where he desired. He fed them with bread from heaven. He provided meat in the evenings sometimes. He protected them with a cloud by day and a cyclone of fire by night. God was the shepherd of Israel. And guess what? He's never stopped being your shepherd. He still shepherds people today. Maybe not in such a visually spectacular way, but he certainly does move the hearts of his people toward him. We are constantly being sanctified. We are constantly being made more holy every single day and getting closer and closer to being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We won't get fully conformed until we see its full consummation when Jesus returns, but we are under construction. We are a work in progress. We are sheep. And we are rightly called sheep because sheep are not very intelligent animals. We sometimes do a lot of dumb things because of sin, but yet God is able to see us with clarity, and he's able to lead us where he desires. David also mentions in verse 3 that he is the God of restoration. He's able to heal any wound. He's able to heal any trauma. He's able to overcome any obstacle that we have in our lives, and we are usually the ones that put those obstacles into our lives. But God is able to heal and restore us. And in reality, when we are called into salvation, that's where the restoration truly begins. Because in our natural, sinful state, we are so broken. And even as Christians, we can be broken. But the healing begins when we have become saved. And we see the world differently after that. That is through the healing and restoration of God. So now because God is so powerful and he is our shepherd, we have nothing to worry about, right? Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is pretty much everywhere we go these days, we don't fear it because we know that God is with us. His rod and his staff comfort us. Now, why does he have a rod and why does he have a staff? A rod was used twofold in those days. One was to fight off wild beasts and the other was to whoop your kids whenever they're out of line. So in that way, God is our defender, but he also disciplines us. Sometimes we need a bit of a spanking, so to speak, in order to learn our lesson. And God will develop you and discipline you over the course of your life. The second tool is the staff, or the crook, that the shepherd would use to guide his sheep. Sometimes he would use that hook-shaped shepherd staff to grab a sheep and wrangle them in a certain direction to illustrate the kind of way that God leads his people. Sometimes he has to 
pull you in a particular direction in order to get you where you need to go. Because on your own, you'll wander off. And boy, nobody knows wandering off better than me. I am one of the dumbest sheep in the flock. And praise God that his crook is constantly on me. In verse 5, God is likened as a gracious host. And in this way, God provides all that we need. And then it says that he anoints our head with oil, which is an illustration of honor that guests would receive when they come and visit someone in those days. But David doesn't see himself as just merely a one-time guest, because it says in verse 6 that surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, meaning that I am now a permanent guest in the house of God, and that he is a constant recipient of the kindness and patience and grace of God. That is why it says that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can tell that is his desire as being a child of God, but God has a permanent place for us in his kingdom. He wants to be where God is, but God also wants us to be where he is. And that's why he has made a way of salvation for us. And that's why it says that Jesus went to heaven to not only sit at the right hand of the Father, but also to prepare a place for us, because he wants us to be with him. In the same way that he wanted to be with his people in the tabernacle, we will get to see a much better version of that in heaven. We will be able to enter the presence of the throne of God any time we want in heaven. And it will be the same concept, though. God wants to be among his people. We get to see a huge sneak preview of what that looks like when Jesus enters the world, but we will not see it in its full glory until he returns again. And then we will see it for what it truly is, and it will be amazing. And, best of all, we will have all of eternity to enjoy it. Praise God for his deliverance and for his salvation. So in the dark days to come in our lives, remember that future that is waiting for us. We have a glorious future already laid out for us in the scriptures. We need to believe every word of it. It is a glorious future we have, and we need to look forward to it in anticipation of that day. Our scripture to memorize today is Psalm chapter 23, verse 6. The whole psalm is excellent to remember, and I highly recommend working towards memorizing the whole thing. But let's just work on verse 6 for the moment. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.